Hey, it's Zach reminding you to check out Swagoo and Perk, an ESPN podcast hosted by former NFL defensive lineman Marcus Spears. He's Swagoo, if you didn't know. An NBA champion, 2008 Celtics, still never lost a playoff series, fully healthy. Kendrick Perkins, they bring their listeners the latest NBA and NFL news as well as a look inside their lives and career journeys with can't miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on a Monday morning after Sunday's Game 7 extravaganza turned into something something else, something entirely unexpected with the Celtics blowing away the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 7 of that series in the second half and the Dallas Mavericks and a sneering, mean-mugging, step-back-jacking Luka Doncic just absolutely reaching into the Phoenix Suns' chest cavity, taking their heart, eating it, stomping on it, and then throwing it in Robert Sarver's face courtside, assuming he was sitting courtside, in a first half that left my jaw on the floor as I watched it in my hotel room in Chicago. They were up 30 at the half. The Suns were disorganized, morose, dead, Chris Paul and Devin Booker did zero, zero in Game 7 until it was over. And even then, they kind of did zero. And if we're going to lambaste James Harden for doing zero and running away from the ball, we got to point the same finger at the two best players on the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul was reportedly, according to Mark Spears and David Meneman, playing through a left quad injury. And for the last five games, he averaged essentially single-digit points. So it showed. Uh, And Devin Booker, I I don't know if he was frazzled. Uh, He was rushing shots early, finished 3 of 14, I believe. You just can't can't have your star players do that in Game 7 of a playoff series. You can't win. You just can't win. And we'll talk Chris Paul a little bit. It's it's not his first bad crunch time moment. I think he's actually had many more good crunch time moments than bad, but this was really, really bad. And this was actually beyond bad. This was humiliating, embarrassing. And given Monty Williams pulling DeAndre Ayton out of the game and then saying it's internal after the game when asked about why DeAndre Ayton did not get back in the game, I think this is the kind of loss. This is the kind of game seven loss and series fall from a head loss that does raise serious internal questions of, oh, okay, are we not as good as we and the world thought did injuries help us last season a little bit. And by the way, yeah, of course they did. That's nothing to apologize for. That's always been the reality of the NBA. Even Monty Williams, you know, addressed his team before the season. I wrote about this in December when I wrote about the Suns culture. You know, in one of their first team meetings of the season, Jared Jack spoke up. He's an assistant coach. said, hey, guys, just so you know, there's a lot of noise out there that it was a fluke, that you guys didn't, didn't deserve to make the finals. Anthony Davis was injured. Kawhi Leonard was injured. Jamal Murray was injured, on and on, and trying to fire up the players. Like, nobody, dude, dude, nobody believes in you thing, which Jason Kidd has now co-opted. Nobody believed in you guys. Everyone thought it was going to be a Game 7 blowout, but we were the team that blew him out. 10 p.m. curfew, even through the 10 p.m. curfew back at Chris Paul. And Monty Williams interrupted Jared Jack and said, maybe they're right. Maybe the critics are right. It doesn't even matter if they're right because we took advantage of the breaks that we got. That season is over. We lost the finals up 2-0. This season is new. But even Monty Williams' Suns fans said, 
maybe they're right because it's just reality. And I think a loss of this magnitude absolutely raises questions about the future of your team when you're committed to Chris Paul for at least two more years and then his deal becomes non-guaranteed after that. When you're facing a big payday for Ayton, a big payday of some degree for Cam Johnson, and a team that if you just have Booker, Ayton, Bridges, Cam Johnson is going to be at the tax and quite expensive, and you don't have your pick in this year's draft, I, I do think you don't want to overreact to one game or one series. This was really, really bad. And on the other end, it was just... I, I Look, we've some of us have been Luka believers from the beginning. I, I've said on this podcast many times, this idea that, oh, Luka hasn't gotten out of the first round, what has he proven, was just absolutely ridiculous. If you had watched any of those games against the Clippers, who maybe were the best team in the NBA and or the favorites when those series against the Mavericks happened, this guy's an absolute killer. He's been a killer since he stepped into the league. He is a postseason matchup nightmare game plan destroyer who is coming for the Warriors now, and he put on an absolute masterpiece in this series, and particularly in Game 7, just humiliating a home team in a Game 7 in a way that I don't think I've ever seen. To help us digest all this and prepare for the Western Conference Finals between the Warriors and the Mavericks, a man who will be covering that series for us, Mr. Kevin Arnovitz, how are you? I'm well, how are you? You got the Braves hat on. I got the Braves hat on. Defending World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. Defending World Series champion. Homage to Biff Pocaroba and Rick Mailer and all the other Braves greats from my childhood. Have you, have you, I don't know who either of those people are. Have you (laughs) um, recovered from yesterday? Have you digested what happened yesterday? It was 57 to 27 at halftime. No, it was like one of those 215 scores early Thursday, early Friday NCAA tournament. You just don't see margins like that. I'm trying to digest it because everything you set up top is true, right? And and yet, do you completely change the direction of a multi-year build of a franchise based on minutes we know are outliers yet may also reveal real truths about the team. So this is always the hardest thing. And I, I love that we're going to do a little on the Suns offseason because, you know, how much do you invest in the worst 24 minutes in, in, in recent Suns basketball history? And there's been a lot of bad history recently. Or do you just say, yeah, this was bad. We need to identify a couple of places where it needs to be good. Um, but hey, let, let's not completely alter the the the, the entire uh, path here. And yet you also kind of look at the Utah Jazz and say, yeah, we don't want to stay pat either. Right. Like you don't want to get into a trap where it's like, yeah, yeah, it was 24. It was 48 minutes and it was bad. Um, But hey, the pieces are here and we didn't win 60 some odd games for nothing. Uh, But I I always find these conversations really interesting when you have an outlier result that forces you to look at what was conventionally thought of is like, yeah, yeah, things are going fine. Well, look. I, I said before the playoffs on NBA Today. Who has the most pressure on them in the playoffs? Both Kendrick Perkins and I picked Phoenix, which surprised the producers because the Suns are just like a machine, right? They're a machine. We know what they are. We're gonna, they're going to roll the ball out. They're going to win by 12 points and do this and that. And it all still seems like gravy because it happened so fast after the bubble and the acquisition of Chris Paul. But we picked them because you just never know when it's over, when the window is shut. And Luka Doncic last night took the window and threw a basketball through it and then 
burn the house down. Like, the, like the, it might already be shut. And I, we do have to just like, I don't know how to reckon. I mean, Devin Booker is young and is going to have a lot of opportunities and made the finals last year and has generally showed out. You don't forgive, quote unquote, a game like that. It remains on his track record. Every great player who gets deep runs in the playoffs over and over again is going to have a game like that. The key is when the stakes are highest to not have multiple games like that where you just they just didn't show you just rushed shots, missed shots, bad decisions, just didn't play well. The Chris Paul one is is harder to reckon with because he's 37, he's reportedly injured. He's always injured at this time of year. That's just the Chris Paul experience. You need to assume that Chris Paul is going to be injured in May and June. It's just going to happen every single year. And he has been a part of some bad meltdowns. Now, 2015 Clippers-Rockets, I believe you covered that series, correct? No, actually, I was in Atlanta during that playoff. Uh, that was not about Chris Paul. Chris Paul played yeah. great in that series. He played very well in the game six and seven of that series. Then there are injuries across the board, whether it's the Rockets uh, against the Warriors in 2018 – uh, when the Clippers all got injured at the same time and lost to Portland in the first round and I believe 2016. Um, and and then there's the 2014 one against the Thunder, which is really the dark moment of Chris Paul's career, just a complete malfunction meltdown. And he's had a lot of big shots in a lot of big games, including a Game 7 series winning buzzer beater against the Spurs. He's also six foot nothing, less than six feet. You know, and it's hard to it's hard to beat the best NBA defenses when one of your top options is less than six feet. That's just the reality. And I do think I remember having Michael Schwartz on the podcast, our ESPN researcher slash Suns fan. We were going through the the reasons earlier this season why people might have been slow on the uptake with Phoenix, and I said one of them I think is in a league that's defined by these predatory apex predator wings, the six eight. Jason Tatum's, Giannis's, Durant's. I mean, the guys that are all, even Butler, who plays bigger than his size, the guys who are all alive in the playoffs right now, Luka, who it may not be all that much bigger than Devin Booker in terms of height and wingspan and all that, but is on another level as a playmaker, even though they weirdly didn't need like genius Luka level playmaking in this series. Um, the, the Suns don't quite have that player. Devin Booker is close to being that kind of player, but they don't. But anyway, um, I don't know how to reckon with those games. I know you don't really traffic in this commentary. You just move on like they played bad games. It happens. Move on. No, no. I, I think I think there's some I, I agree with you in this sense. Like, I think the Phoenix Suns have some real things to discuss, like any contender does. Right. Any imperfect team. I think you just hit on one of them. Right. Which is, you know, who creates offense and by the way, we also have to factor in that they're unusual in the sense that Chris Paul, who's been their catalyst in many ways, is also 37 years old. And so when we talk about the window and we assume that the core of Booker and Bridges and Cam Johnson and maybe Aiton, uh, that that he won't be around. Right. So they're going to ultimately have to replace. And that was the big question. And why Aiton, right. why Aiton's what a weird playoffs for Aiton against the Pelicans when Booker is hurt. He turns into like, oh, I can count on him for 22 points every game, making difficult shots. And and now against Dallas, when the lights are brightest, he catches the ball against it's, – it's like he's programmed to spin away from right. the basket. It's like, dude, just go up, man. You're at the basket. Why are you pivoting away from the basket? This but is a he, question they ask regularly 
hourly in, in Phoenix. And yeah. to your point earlier, where is their shot creation coming from in the future out on the wing? Is there a six, seven guy? And I think when you talk about the composition of the roster and oh, maybe Aiton is, I do think they want to address this. So I actually, I do subscribe to this commentary because I don't think they are, well, no, no team is perfect, but I do think they have serious things to address, including their depth. Um, and Aiton is a fascinating subject, right? Because he's one of those guys who I think by the conventions of a lot of the league kind of is past the threshold of max. You pay your guy, you pay your guy, you pay your guy. Um, but I think there's some interesting questions there. Well, they didn't pay their guy as we know. And I reported at the trade deadline that they had, that there was communication between the Suns and the Pacers about something involving Sabonis and Aiton. And I wrote at the time that they were just, Broad exploratory. It might have been one phone call. Might have been aimed at the summer or future because I just found it hard to believe that Phoenix would disrupt anything that they had going on in the present season. The fact that that and then of course Sabonis gets traded to the Kings anyway, so that's off the table. The fact that that was even whispered about, combined with the fact that they did not pay him the max and just open shut, it's done. Combined with the fact that whatever the hell happened last night, and I'm recording this in the morning in Chicago, I haven't had time to make a, a ton of phone calls on it yet. The the blessing and curse of creating hashtag content at a rapid pace. Um, I, I I think absolutely we're going to hear DeAndre Ayton rumors starting now, starting this offseason. And we can sit here and name teams. It's all the same teams that we've named when talking about where could the Jazz trade Rudy Gobert, all the teams that need centers, Charlotte, Toronto, Atlanta is a very intriguing fit. Um, you know, uh, and then you add in, well, you know, the Pistons have cap space, and do they believe Isaiah Stewart's really their starting center of the future? The Spurs have cap space. Is there something to be done with Pirtle and something else from San Antonio going to Phoenix? I just don't know what the something else could be. Oklahoma City looms is like, why not? He's young. Why not? But the, what are they trading to to Phoenix in a sign and trade that helps them win now? How much should Phoenix really be all in on win now mode anyway? And if they if they move something uh, with Aiden, I, I don't know if any of those things strike you as interesting. Any of those fits strike you as interesting. Um, the Atlanta one is particularly interesting to me, but I don't I I think it's if you're going to sort of tweak something big. I think that's the area that they're going to look at first. Right. It, because, look, if, if you're talking about a Max, he's not Jokic, he's not Embiid, he's not Towns. He just doesn't have that repertoire of offensive skills. He's not Gobert in the sense that he certainly doesn't have the repertoire of defensive skills. So I did toy with a just a Gobert Aiton. That's fascinating, trade. actually. Um, like, I, I like think the Jazz get the Jazz get younger. They build more on Mitchell's timetable. The Suns get older and sort of skew between Booker and Paul a little bit, but they get better defensively. I don't know. I, I think Gobert's contract just makes me panic about it, even if I'm panic pre-panicked about Aiton's contract. But it is interesting, right? Yeah, no, it is. And But I, I think the question for them is, you know, Aiton in terms of comportment, in terms of consistent production, in terms of putting in the work, in terms of not getting into a verbal altercation with your coach of the year in game seven, like he's not entirely there, you know, like Maya Jones, uh, an editor at ESPN published a piece 
a few last few days about Aiden's love of gaming and which he apparently does in lieu of sleep. And you know what? Frankly, it's hard to imagine a piece about Bam Adebayo being published in the playoffs about, hey, I stay up all hours of the night gaming because it's it's good therapy. Right. And I, I think just in terms of what they're trying to build in Phoenix, those are the questions. And I think they do. They, they still want to invest in, in Aiton. But I do think, to your point, if we allow for the fact that, hey, something has to change a little bit, it's not going to be Booker. Um, Chris is going to kind of play out. Right. Like he's going to be there another couple of years. Then he's going to retire. Um, you know, Bridges is a foundational piece now. He's what you want at that position in many respects. So long as you have another attacker at the four, Johnson is someone they love. They love Cam Johnson. They're proud of Cam Johnson, that everybody would have picked him late in the second and they would have taken him at six, you know, and they're, they're very proud of that pick and rightly so. He's a great, I mean, he's a good teammate. He's, 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 a, he's a great shooter. Um, he gives them a lot and he's young. And so I think to your point, it's if you want to do something, if you don't want to sort of just kind of run it back, if you believe that the roster composition requires a major tweak, could you, you know, also, by the way, you, you need some depth. Like, I think their depth issues were exposed a little bit. You know, Payne wasn't the player he was last season. Um, yeah, I, we like Shamit, but but I think, you know, Crowder's going to be gone relatively soon. So it's like, I, I think that that by process of elimination, if you want to do something, quote, medium sized to big, Aiton is a logical candidate. Um, and, and I think those sort of, I, I don't, yeah, culture's overused, but I, I think those kind of questions of comportment are interesting and and you know there's there are they are a topic of discussion in phoenix i think if i were the knicks i might i might start thinking about well what do we have what could we do sign and sign and trade wise you know and that's where i get back to like well how urgently does phoenix need to view any move as we've got to win the championship next season and and the knee-jerk response is well yeah you can't just you have to view it through that lens i also think they could just you know, if they find a move that, like you said, kind of restocks their depth a little bit, gets them one good player, a bunch of other interesting player, a couple other interesting players, a draft pick, like you can make that trade and be like, yeah, if we don't win the championship this year, we're still going to be really, really good. Booker's still pretty young. Obviously, he's eligible for a Supermax this summer, as, as Bobby Marks pointed out. Bridges is young. Johnson is not so young, given given his you know his age at, at, at the draft. But we don't we don't have to like strip mine the future. To win now, we can do something in between. By the way, you know it would be a really fun fake trade if one of the participants were healthy and playing basketball. Is Aiton for Ben Simmons? That's interesting. I'm just throwing stuff out. I'm just throwing stuff out. The Nets are just the Nets. As as we all know, in Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, if if he's on, if they're if either or both are on the team next year. The gap between their talent and their trade value is bigger than any other player in recent NBA history. But we're getting sidetracked. The Suns just – I couldn't believe what I was – I still can't believe what I watched. I can, and rarely – the last time I felt like I can't believe what I'm watching – and it it happens every now and, and and not like I can't believe this mini run or that one play. Like I can't believe this continuous thing is happening. The last time I felt that sensation was Game Seven between the Nuggets and the yep. Clippers. I was the, that that was the, the one I was going to throw out. That when is the last. Like, yeah, I the Clippers just stopped playing basketball. Like I don't understand what's happened. It was it was that kind of sensation, but times five because of how fast it happened. And Kay, I don't know if you watching that game, but like, 
the the part of the game that just like killed me as a fan and just killed me and I don't mean that in a bad way, it just like killed me in terms of I'm just sitting there like slack jawed. Second quarter with like four minutes to go, whatever it was, it's like a 17, 18, 19 point game. And you can talk yourself into like we played horrible. If we get in the locker room, it's like 15, 18, 13. Like we come out, we're at home, we're in good shape. And the Mavs were just like, and Luca in particular was just like, no, nah, how about 30? How about how about like 21, 24, 27, 30? And in those three minutes, it was like, oh my God. They just stole this team's soul, and there's no going back now. And the game went from like maybe to it, it's over. Like it was it was an incredible stretch of just soul snatching evisceration. Yeah. I mean, what we were watching was Luka Doncic. And I remember having a conversation about this game, you know, prior to it. And and it's the old chestnut that, hey, in the playoffs, often the team with the best player wins. And, you know, it's kind of reductive. Um, There's there are plenty of examples against it. But but, you know, there is a reason LeBron was in the finals every year. There's a reason Steph made five straight trips. There's a reason that, you know, Kawhi has surfaced at times when healthy. And that's what we were watching was Luca, who is, I, I don't know that there is a defensive scheme. Like we will sit here and we will talk about ways the Warriors might defend. Him. No, there's and no, there's no scheme. There's no scheme. And I, I, I literally have four ideas here. All of them are terrible. Zach, every idea I have for defending Luca Doncic is terrible, which says everything. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Maybe we should just start there. Like, what are your four ideas for defending Luka Doncic? I assume you have put yourself in the position of Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors with their specific, Pacific, I almost said, uh, personnel uh, in defending Luka because that's the Western Conference Finals. The Mavericks are in the Western Conference Finals. Before the season, I said the Mavericks were my sneaky, if everything goes right, team to make the Finals. Then their season got off to like a start, and I was like, well, I guess something's wrong. Then they traded Porzingis. It was like, well, that's weird. They got these players who are totally sort of dead money from Washington that maybe we can – now they're in the Western Conference Finals because in part, in large part, because their best player is just this good. They are are now officially a title contender in large part because Luka is that good. And so here we are, Warriors-Mavericks – Two teams that were average on offense, great on defense. Their scoring margin in the playoffs is almost identical. They've become better on offense, obviously, with better personnel. Um, We can talk about 
you know, everything we there's the fundamental unknown of like what's Golden State starting five now. Um, this was a series, I think, where Gary Payton II would have played a large role and did in the regular season matchups where Andre Iguodala, if he's available, would be really, really useful to have as just another guy to throw out there, not just at Doncic, but to rotate around the floor because you're going to get in rotation. But I guess let's let's start with, with um, the Dallas offense against the Warriors defense, which is going to be a lot of Luka and a lot of five out. And by the way, Kleba... Kleba's the he- other hero among many heroes. I guess it goes – the hero hierarchy, I guess, has to go uh, Doncic, Brunson. Jason Kidd has done an incredible job pushing all the right buttons. But Kleba is shooting 49% from three on six and a half attempts per 36 minutes. Without that uptick in shooting, they're not here. That that changed their team. It changed their ability to play five out, which they all they wanted with Porzingis was play five out, and they couldn't get there with him. So I guess start with with Warriors defense against Dallas offense. What are your ideas other than pray? Uh, pray first. Um, chapel at six thirty, or actually probably Chapel would be probably around five for the um, for the six o'clock local start here in San Francisco. Well, okay. So what do we got? Um, first of all, you have to determine are they are we talking Powell because that team with a hard roller like Powell is slightly different offensively than with the five out with Clayton. Let's say. Um, I mean, one thing you can do is switch, and which is what Golden State typically does, and, and just let them isolate all night, either against your big or ideally against someone who isn't your big with your big, whether it's Looney or Green, kind of sitting at the rim. Um, but you, to do that, you can't have a weak link because then you'll get the Lou Williams experience, right? And so, you know, now that compromise is possibly a Jordan Poole lineup. Um, I don't want Poole isolated against Luka Doncic because I think that would be terrible. Um, we all love Jordan Poole. He's one of the great stories of the season. I think he was on my most improved list. I love Jordan Poole. Um, he is not someone you want on an island against Luka Doncic. And, and they will just ride with that for a while. They will They will eat up progress in a game for minutes at a time, just allowing Luka Doncic to order off the menu. Um, you can shade him left and, um, you know, where, so if he goes right now, he's a brilliant playmaker. You, uh, you shade him right. He is the great left step back artist of our time. He loves being blitz. So just forget about that. And it's why teams have avoided it. Um, it has been effective and very limited use this postseason, mostly by Utah. Um, but if you blitz him, he's just going to pick up his dribble and make the perfect pass wherever, because he's eight foot four and with insane ball handling skills. So like, I, I just, you, you don't trap Luca anymore. Like you just don't. And I, I think there's a reason why he's been trapped a total like two dozen times in 14 games or whatever it is. Um, when they're small, I mean, given everything you just said about Kleba shooting a gazillion percent. And by the way, Kleba, Bertans, Finney Smith, Dinwiddie are all at 40% or better. Bullock's at 39% at, from three. So maybe you drop and at least it keeps other guys from draining shots, Right. Now, Luca can obviously kill you with the floater. He can kill you just all kinds. The minute the minute you stunt as he incurs into the lane, like you're screwed because now he will find that pass. And, and look, these are good shooters who don't need a hell of a lot of time. So, like, I don't know what you do. Um, we can talk about the Golden State lineup combos. I, I think it's a kind of a it's a it's obviously a related question. Um, it's a somewhat separate question. And the reason I think it's somewhat separate is like it in some ways it just doesn't matter. I mean, it matters. Obviously you have to have the least stupid scheme possible, but know that your 
scheme is going to be stupid by definition because he's a stupid player. Like it's just, it's, you can't defend him and it's, it's an exercise in futility and you just have to pick the worst or the best of terrible options. Well, let's start with the fundamentals. Um, Golden State couldn't decide who to start against Memphis, right? Uh, once Gary Payton II got injured. They were hesitant to start the pool party lineup, so they didn't. They started these mid-sides lineups with Kaminga, and then Otto Porter would start the second half. And then they finally were like, we're going to go big because Steven Adams is mauling us, and we'll play Draymond and Looney together. And Looney showed out the last part of that series, 20-something rebounds in Game 6. If Powell's starting, and he will continue to start, I would assume, I think the safe— if I had to bet with no intel from the Warriors coaching staff at this point— I would bet on them starting Looney and toggling and tethering his minutes to Powell and just say, we're going to try being big. We're going to try bringing you up to the level of the screen with Luka and see how we fare with that. But that's going to last three minutes until kid's going to come with Kleba. And then my life gets a little bit more difficult because, as you said, the smaller I get, the more Luka is going to just mismatch Hunt and get into the lane and kick for threes or have layups. And we saw what he did to Chris Paul where he just beat the hell out of him. Historically, the Warriors have put Wiggins on Luka as the primary guy. And when he's attacked Steph or when he's attacked Poole, a drill the Warriors know very well from all the times they played LeBron, they have really been hesitant to switch those matchups. They've had Steph hedge. And you briefly put two on the ball, and then you're banking on, we're going to nail all the recoveries. We're going to stunt a third guy toward whoever sets the screen for Luka because we can't just give these guys wide open pick and pop threes. But we're not going to overcommit, and all the recovery is going to be in such sync that we're going to be able to sort of just at least chase them into a not awful shot for us. And that's just a hard, it's hard to play that way over and over and over again. But I think those are some of the things we're going to see Wiggins primary, and then we'll see what the lineup combinations are. Right now. Now look, I don't worry, even if it, it requires a little, one thing I do like about the Looney Draymond lineup together, which I can't believe I'm saying, cause I'm such a spacing person. They play um, well together. They play. First of all, it is a just boffo rebounding lineup and, and that's important i mean I, I know rebounding is a skill right like like being able to recover a third of your missed shots especially when you're the gold state warriors and you have seventeen thousand turnovers a game is really important i mean curse calls it the possession battle and, it, and it's real like rebounding is important um and it allows them to do that i, I think like Looney as a rim runner is important. Draymond is not like a conventional non-shooter. Oh, we can just leave him. Yeah, try leaving a swath of space around Draymond on those dribble handoffs. See how, yeah, just, just stay back. Yeah, see how well that fares for you. So this idea that, oh, you know, Draymond's a non-shooter, you can't have two non-shooters, it's baloney. Like, look, I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's the same as having you know, a 42% three-point shooter out there. Um, you know, you don't have to treat him like Kleba, frankly, but I just kind of reject this idea. I don't worry about Looney getting stretched the way, say, Gobert gets stretched. Like, Looney can move a little faster. Um, Porter is a very important player in this consideration. And and I, look, I like that. I mean, honestly, and, and I'm missed, still- Missed game six due to injury, yes. by the way. And and I, 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 I suspect he will be back. Me too. Um, by Wednesday. Um, I, I think that is the plan. Um, and he's a really important piece in the way that Iguodala is important, right? Another six, seven guy who's a two-way player. 
look, unlike Iguodala, I mean, the, Porter's a career 40% three-point shooter. And, and um, it's not just on the ball, the 6'7". Oh, he's a great thing. off-ball defender. But, you talk but, about those decisions you were just talking yeah, about? Exactly. Recovery? Oh, Porter's it's the all, best. It's all there. I think we're, we're obviously going to see the pool party lineup in this series. It's, gonna, it's part of their identity now. But the smaller you get, the longer those rotations become the easier it is for a shooter to just shoot over somebody. Like the more six, seven, I mean, this has been the Warriors formula since yeah. day one of the dynasty. Like just have a bunch of long, smart guys running around. Right. And, and Porter's a great feel guy for them. He is generally a step ahead defensively. Um, he's a Drummondian kind of defender in that respect. Uh, and, and, and he's important. And, and I remember having conversations about Porter with them when I was doing the story in December, when they were really, they came out of the gate. You know, whatever it was, eighteen and three, or whatever. Well, and and just they were anticipating matchups like this, and how vital Porter would be. He's also a great rebounder. Um, and, and so I'm a real Porter guy. Like I, I, it's as unthinkable as it would be to have Pool on the bench for crucial moments. There are going to be, I think, moments in this series that are tight where they might be best with Green, Porter, Wiggins, Clay, Steph. Um, I like and that. By lineup. Way, that's a good. That's I call that their midsize lineup. Yes. It's like a midsize car. It's like a, it's like a Toyota Camry or something. I don't know. Um, and you know, and I think that. And by the way, there will be times, as you said, that call for the pool party. Uh, but but it is it, it's tough. And again, defending Lucas. This is what happens when you're up against a six nine locomotive. And as you say, the rotations become farther. You don't want to make those commutes. And again, and I don't think Poole is a great team defender yet. And and so that's the only thing. Uh, it was so interesting watching Mike Brown coach the other night against Memphis because, you know, when it came down to it, he went back to Loon, right? Like this is a defensive minded coach. And, and it was like, I know Poole had had a rough night shooting, but it was, it was interesting, like when the series was on the line and it was closing time, like he went defense. And I still think that is the Golden State Warriors best chance to win a title this season is I think it's going to be defensively. There will be great microwavable moments and pool is going to be fantastic. And he's going to have some Jordan pool games, but I really think that there will be some just trench warfare in the third and fourth, especially the fourth quarter of games that is just going to demand, as you said, sort of the like size guys. God, I'd hope, wouldn't it be great if he could all get back out there. I just want to see him out there. I mean, ain't many guys smarter than Andre Iguodala in the NBA period like the guy's a, a genius defensive player and a genius passer and they could use his size and heft and the, the greatest swipe down steel guy in the history of the league i think um i will just see they'll, they'll throw everything at luca they will trap him now and then you mentioned that this the other thing that having a lot of six seven guys helps with is in the first mavs warriors game they threw a lot of zone um at dallas in part to make it harder to, for luca to just pick his mismatch it's a dangerous game against a team with a lot of shooting I bet they'll do it here and there. We'll see how how much they can actually do it. The other thing that I like for Dallas is um, the Warriors, I think, were top six or seven in forcing turnovers on defense. They get a lot of their juice from getting their hands in passing lanes, steals, turn into three-point shots for them, all that stuff that we've seen for years. The Mavs are an elite ball protection team and have remained so to another degree, actually, in the playoffs. Now, Utah, their first opponent, doesn't force any turnovers, but Phoenix forces a hell of a lot, and they could not get the ball out of their out of the Mavericks' hands. And that's one benefit of running a relatively simple 
ball control offense where Luca's lording over the action or maybe Brunson's lording over the action and you're just attacking one-on-one a lot. It's a low turnover offense. I think that helps Dallas win that kind of possession battle against against the Warriors. Um, you want Let's flip it around and talk about when the Warriors have the ball. This is... This is going to be really interesting for Dallas early on because it's it's they just faced two of the most traditional pick and roll teams and and that's not like all of these teams have different wrinkles particularly the Suns in their pick and roll game but you know you're getting like a a, a high volume of basic kind of pick and roll actions and now you're going to the Warriors who can play that way but often want to play sort of particularly when they have the three guards on the floor play that sort of random split game handoff here. You know, one of the things when they do play Dre and Looney together that Steph is really smart about is what I call putting the the opposing bigs on the yo-yo where he'll use a Looney pick and start driving it and get the defense backpedaling toward the paint, including Draymond's guy. You know, pitch it to Draymond and run around a handoff from Draymond. A Draymond's guy can't get back up at the top of the yo-yo soon enough. Um they're going from those pick and roll games to this Warriors blender, which was kind of malfunctioning for a good part of the Memphis series. Like too much random basketball, too much Draymond just kind of running around looking for a handoff partner. I wonder what you're looking for Dallas defense, which has been outstanding all year long, facing a new kind of challenge stylistically with the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm I'm actually really curious and I, now, I have not watched Dallas as much this postseason as you have just because they were competing series at a certain point. And so I haven't. All I do know is I've been really impressed by that small lineup defensively. Just every time I'm watching them, um, I mean, they get beat up on the boards is, is my sense. But other than that, they're they're really they, they are body on body. Like there is not a lot of open space. They're quick. Um, Clay is a much better defender than than. I even imagined uh, I had a vote for Finney Smith uh, for all defense. And I, I gave it to him um, second team. And I have just been amazed at whom he has stopped. And I suspect we will see him probably, I, I would imagine start on, on, on step. I could be wrong. Um, it it, it depends. It really, again, depends on who the warriors start. If they start Draymond at center versus versus Draymond and Looney, the matchups are, are very, very different. Bullock has guarded Steph the most. Finney Smith becomes the interesting wing guy because if they start big, he'll he may guard Draymond, he may guard Clay. If they start small, I think he'll probably guard Clay. They've also put Brunson on Draymond Green a fair bit in some of these matchups. That becomes that becomes maybe a look they go to if the Warriors again start big and Powell has to to, to guard Looney. But there's a lot of interesting matchups. But it's mostly yeah, but let, been let's assume up. let's assume the Warriors go start big. And again, I, I can't confirm that, but I'm going to assume, you know, again, and, and, and it might be a quick hook, but let's assume they have Looney. So then I then I have the matchups like this. Bullock on Steph, Doncic on Wiggins, Powell on Looney, and then you have the Finney Smith Brunson pieces splitting the Clay Draymond matchup. I don't know I don't know where they'll go. I kinda like the idea of Finney Smith on Draymond and Brunson on Clay. They've preferred the other way around, which is fine to put more size on Clay for his shooting um, and Brunson on Draymond and sort of finagle it like that. It's interesting. Yeah, I it's hard to say. I, I'm, I'm actually now it, it, it's going to be interesting. I, I have no idea. Um, but 
you're right. The random basketball is going to be a real test. I, look, I was one of these people when you were predicting Dallas as your sneaky good team. I, I had two sort of misgivings. One was I didn't think there was enough shot creation outside of Luca. And um, by the way, to, there, to be clear, when they traded Porzingis to not to to humble myself, which I should do here because it, it's it's fair. When they traded Porzingis, I thought they had accepted a slight step back this season in their ceiling in exchange for more cap flexibility going forward. Dead wrong, obviously. And I also picked the Suns in six in the last round. So I can't sit here and be like, oh, yeah, Dallas. I was Dallas all the way the whole time. Um, And the other was I hadn't seen anything defensively that suggested they were elite. And obviously that has changed entirely this season. Um, Also, their personnel decisions, with the exception of Brunson, have clearly demonstrated that the the inclinations of the staff are – toward defense um you know it's funny you know typically as you said golden state's not a high pick and roll team by the way and god i can't even believe i'm, I'm saying this um because it's just such what i i love that the fact the warriors are this anomalous team that doesn't do straight high pick and roll you know one five spread basketball but every once in a while i wouldn't mind against memphis i kind of found myself saying and i remember being in a conversation about this uh, where where and I've talked to others about this, uh, you know, even including in, the, in kind of the, the Golden State faithful, where wouldn't it be terrible to run a few more Steph high pick and rolls when things get really gummy? Um, first of all, you're, you're less likely to turn the ball over. Um, and it was an epidemic against Memphis. I mean, it was just, I mean, it, it could have cost them the series. And I wonder, you know, had Memphis been healthier? It, it is, look, it's always been a feature of their offense. This is always the small price you pay. Like I said for, before, turnovers turnovers are going to be a bellwether. And the Warriors messed around against Memphis. Just, just mind-boggling turnovers. Um, but, yeah, it, it, they're they're harder to defend. Um, it's a, You know, you like Bullock on Curry. Um, that means somebody will chase Clay. Uh, it does require so much more navigation. It's not straight coverage, right? That's what's so, and that's why you do love the random basketball, right? Like, like a team that has kind of sort of mastered this programmatic defense and this very stingy kind of, you know, pack in sort of defense all of a sudden is asked to make snap judgments. Um, it requires a totally different skill set. It's more than just stunting and then, you know, plugging holes back playing the gaps like it is much more holistic as a defense like you just have to kind of you have to anticipate things it is a you essentially become you know it's a, it becomes read and react defense we always associate read and react as like oh that's that's a characterization of an offense right um no when you play the warriors you actually have to have a read and react defense and, and it's hard and um i think they're a really heady bunch and i think they'll be really well prepared but um i will have a much more coherent philosophy about Dallas's defensive game plan against Golden State after game one. I'm kind of right now, um, I don't know what to expect. Um, I think you have a much better feel for it. Uh, but I, I think that's what's so fun about a seven-game series is I can't wait to have this conversation after game one. I think the Warriors run a little more pick and roll than the really loud anti-Kerr critics give them credit for. Like if you look at the numbers, they run they've been running the same number of Steph pick and rolls per hundred possessions yeah. for 10 years now. Um, sometimes they amp it up. Sometimes they amp it too far down. I agree with you. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always on the side of play the random stuff, but play it out 
of a Steph Draymond pick and roll first. Like start start there, and then when the defense starts moving around, then you just go, just do your relocation, give yeah, and go, yeah. all this. Um, I I do think against this level of defense, they really need to be they really need to be as intentional as possible with a decent amount, let's say twenty percent more, fifteen percent more Steph pick and roll, and see how the Mavericks. Defend. Sometimes they're going to switch, and Steph has been able to drive a lot of those switches. We saw it against Memphis. They drove against Memphis. Their biggest driving total drives per game, their three biggest of the year, I think, were in that series because the Grizzlies were switching. Sometimes they'll they'll put two on the ball and dare the Warriors to beat them in four on threes. And yeah, the Warriors have won championships with Draymond Green playing four on three basketball underneath a Steph pick and roll. And the Mavericks defense is really smart and rotates really well. And if Draymond and Looney are on the floor, they're going to be really good. Your, your ideal outcome in those scenarios when Draymond is on the floor with another non-shooner is force those two guys to beat you almost two-on-two two or two-on-1.5 in floater range. Make Draymond overthink the lob pass. Make Draymond take a floater. Cloud their judgment as best you can. That's really hard to do, but Dallas, I think... Um, can manage that, and then post with the particularly when the three guards are on the floor, post Draymond, and play that split game more. I I think they just got too much of Draymond bringing the ball up and looking around and playing completely haphazard random basketball, looking for cutters when he's got the ball up top, which can work. And as you said, they'll pivot into handoffs. And if you're too far off Draymond, you're dead. Clay. I just think they they need to get a little more organized, and that involves. More Draymond in the post and less Draymond just kind of running around with the ball at the top. Yeah, it's funny. I had a note from sort of my game for Phoenix, San Francisco, Phoenix, Phoenix Golden State series where it was just like it's time to resystematize the offense. And I think I probably wrote this at a seven turnovers and nine possession stretch or something. And it was just. Hey, it, it is, it's, this is why it's so much fun to watch the Warriors, right? It's this, it, it's this beautiful balance between structure and improvisation. It's why basketball dorks will always love the Warriors. And I think you and I qualify um, in that we can be classified as such. But it, this is going to be a great series. Also, because like that small lineup against Dallas, like they play the gaps really well. I mean, this is a it is a risk. It's not a risk averse defense. Um, I think they like turn the opponent over like more than every fifth possession. So, um, and that's, what's so funny. And cause you know, I like Powell on the floor in many ways because I do think Luca with a hard roller is so is even, it gives him yet another lethal thing for the, for the defense to have to worry about that said, I I've been really impressed with the small lineup of Dallas and how I've watched them defend when I've, when I've seen them on the floor. Kleba will also do this delightful thing where he fakes a role. He does like a, a two-step role. To make you think, like he can, he can be a rim runner. He's gotten rim running dunks before in his career a lot, but he he'll make you think he's doing it, and then he'll moonwalk back out to the three point line. I love when he does that. Yeah, they're a fun team, and I, I I'm a huge Finney Smith guy, as I said. Um, it's been nice to see Bullock build just a great role playing career as a starter. Um, he kind of languished. Yet another kind of failure of that Clippers era of oh, let's draft guys and then just like sort of ice them because Heydu Turkoglu is available, right? And so you know he was around a lot. And- <laughs> Heydu Turkoglu catching strays, as the kids say. He didn't ask. <laughs> Heydu didn't ask for that. I mean, I like Heydu. It's just, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's been. I, I think the hallmark of a really good 
organization in a moment is just like, do you find those guys and, and build them back up and you get great value out of players like Finney Smith, out of Kleba, out of Brunson, out of, I mean, look at the four guys in their sort of, I mean, I guess what's becoming you know, one of their death lineups and, you know, it, it's essentially four role players. So, so role-ish that I dismissed them early in the season in our conversation saying, yeah, there's just not enough shot creation. You know, what are you gonna do there? And, you know, Brunson's limited. Yeah. And look, I, I've been thrilled to be proved wrong because um, it's a team I just absolutely love to watch. Not not just because of Luca. I mean, they were they're they're much more fun to watch than they were in those previous Clipper series um, in the early incarnation. And and frankly, I like them more without Porzingis at this point. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really fun. By the way, we didn't even talk about Dinwiddie. <laughs> like, like it, yeah, it's he's the feast or famine guy. I, when he hits shots, it feel it feels like hopeless now. Like when Dinwiddie's hitting step back threes, it's like my God, this kid, what are we what are we supposed to do? Yeah, and he's also he was a very capable pick and roll player too, and 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 um, yeah, I think he's lost maybe a half a step defensively, but he doesn't. There aren't a lot of liabilities there, and I just don't think they have a lot of guys with a lot of liabilities, and clearly a team defensive scheme now that just works. I mean, that's been one of the great stories of the season is is Dallas, who had just languished defensively, and you know much of it was put on Luca, and, and probably you know fairly so has become this stalwart defensive team. I mean, kids, Sweeney, they, they just, and, and really just the commitment of guys like Finney Smith and, and Bullock and, and sort of trusting those guys. Well, and, saying, and how about Luca and the team, but Luca specifically, you know, after that game two where Phoenix just destroyed him over and over and over, I said on the podcast with Kevin O'Connor, I, I hope we look back at Luca's career and that game is a turning point where he just says, I have to dig in enough, enough. And it was like an instant turning point. It took no time at all. Like I was thinking maybe in the conference finals next year, blah, blah, blah. No, instantly a turning point. And there's nothing fancy about the Mavs defense. Like schematically, there's no trickery. They don't go to a box and one. They don't do anything. No, they, yeah. they just play whether they're coming up to the level of the screen or a little further back. or so. They just nail their scheme. They nail the rotations behind it. They don't make mistakes. You rarely see two guys rotate to the same place. You rarely see anybody over-rotate. The help and recover is just on point, on a string. It's it's good coaching. It's good planning. And it's fantastic execution. And and this is going to be a different kind of test for them. But I think I think they're up for it. I think this is going to be a really good and long series. And by the way, they, they're able to stay out of rotation more. Because what was interesting about kids' scheme in Milwaukee was they really moved kind of the helpline over. Like they were willing to sort of pressure the hell out of the ball side and then deal with rotations. And it clearly has been moderated, right? And that, that was, it was both because, hey, they had all that length. Remember, that was sort of the length bucks, you know, like we have John Hunson, we have this guy. Everybody's got a wingspan of nine foot four and, and they really tried to leverage that. Um, but it left, you know, obviously backside rotations. And, and I think that they're also just very good. I mean, look, the best rotation is the non-rotation. Right. The best rotation is you can play two on two basketball against a pick and roll. I mean, obviously, as we talked about, when you have a kind of random split offense and, and that kind of stuff that the the, the the Warriors blender, it's much harder because nothing is two on two. Right. And that is the benefit of not running a high pick and roll in every set. But um, I mean, that's just been what's interesting is, is, you know, kid sort of just kind of he has altered his philosophy defensively. And some of that is personnel based, but some of it is just sort of. Look, I'm, I'm sort of a retread guy in the sense that retreads are always this sort of like derisive term when we talk about coaches. But when you, when you talk about Monty or, you know, or anybody else, it's like, yeah, sometimes the best prep for being for coaching well is having kind of failed a little bit as a coach in the past. Like you learn stuff and 
Um, I've just been utterly impressed by what I've seen this year. And again, I was not high. I was not somebody who was bullish on the Mavericks at the beginning of the season. I just wasn't. I would have taken the under in the win total if asked. So um, I, I'm, I am so excited for this series. Zach. Yeah. And, and to wrap a bow on the sort of stylistic difference between the Warriors and everybody else, we have seen, and the Cavs talked about this it, when they would face them in the finals, the sort of shock of that in the first two games in what was then Oakland would hit the – like the Warriors a lot of times would be up 2-0 with like a plus 35 scoring margin. And the Cavs were clearly shell-shocked about like we just sort of rolled through these like boring Eastern Conference offenses and then this thing – we're blowing switches. We don't know what to do. We're doing this wrong. We're switching, but we're not helping. And I do think it'll be interesting to see if they can benefit from that again. And the other thing with the words, this is, I do wonder, their lineup composition to me is so interesting because Dallas is not like a physical big rebounding team. It feels like it should be safer to play the full-on pool party lineup against these guys. But Luka makes that feel more dangerous than than it should be given. You look at the Mavs from from like a vacuum statistical standpoint. They feel like a team that's tailor-made for the Warriors to just go all in on small ball. And they're not an offensive rebounding team. And it, and it feels – when you watch Luka put Chris Paul in the basket stanchion over and over again, it feels less true. No, look, I, 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 the, the viewer cannot, the listener cannot hear me shaking my head and basically no agreeing with you, which is, I mean, listen, as I said, there's no good defense against Luka, but I think size matters. And it's why I have fewer misgivings about Looney. I don't worry about the go bear factors. Look, I think there are going to be times and why I'm sort of pro auto in this series. And it's not that I'm anti pool. It's just, I just think size is important against Luka. And again, it's not just against Luka. It's against the Luca playmaking, against Luca going right and having the entire floor and making an aerial pass on the drive. And you just need limbs. You need length out there. You need to have some tree branches in the way. And it's because it, it's not just, oh, he'll shoot over a short guy or he'll pick out Lou Williams or whoever it is. It's it's it also is about the playmaking. Like I just think size against the Mavs is important. And you know, and that's why I worry a little bit less about sort of big, oh, the Draymond, Kavon, Looney, how are they going to score lineups? Um, because it, it just, it's essential. You can't defend him small. You just can't. And not just, again, not just on the ball small. You can't defend him off the ball. You need size out there defensively against Luka in the half court. Kevin Arnovitz, your coverage of this series, which I haven't made my pick yet because I'm still undecided. Um I'm still thinking a little bit about it. It's going to be essential. I hope to see you down the line, um, but thank you for a little time on the low post. Kevin Artovitz, everybody. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. All right, let's talk Eastern Conference now that we're done with the West, uh, going into the West Finals. Celtics Heat, and whenever we talk Celtics, I like to have their color analyst and longtime Celtic legend, Brian Scalabrini. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I, I was, I knew we should have beat the Milwaukee Bucks, but I wasn't like sitting here so confident that, oh yeah, it's just a matter of time before we smack them, but um, I'm glad they got through that series. Yeah, uh, let's let's t start there because that was a until Game Seven, which kind of dissipated a, a, amid a hail of Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard three pointers. That was kind of an epic series, particularly that Game Six, Tatum, Giannis, forty six, forty four, just duel. Um, I'm with you. I actually think I, I I think people have underrated the absence of Chris Middleton. I mean, he's not just their second or third best player, depending on how you rank him. He's their number one pick and roll ball handler. I mean, if you take that mm -hmm. player away from any team, it's 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 potentially crippling. I think the Bucks did really well to get it to Game Seven. May have gotten a little bit fortunate to get it to Game Seven. I I just thought Boston was better, and had Boston not won this series, I think it would have been cause for deep, deep, deep regret. Deeper than the regret they felt, Mr. Scalabrini, in 2020, when I think internally they believed. They should have beaten the Miami Heat in the mm -hmm. 2020 bubble conference finals, blew some leads in that series. Uh, Hayward's health was an issue. Kemba's health was an issue. Different times, different different teams now for an attempt at sort of exercising that regret. But before we move on, just, you know, the Bucks, Giannis, what Tatum did, what's going to stick with you from watching that series up close? Because we saw some pretty incredible stuff. Yeah, I think it's more than anything, it's a growth of – Tatum as a player and I think every like not all series are created equal right like I don't the, the Celtics got through the net series I don't think they learned anything I don't think Tatum took that step to closing the gap on on Kevin Durant that the Nets sucked they didn't guard anybody they don't have defensive players but now you enter into this series and right from the start you know it's going to be physical you know it's going to be hard and I give Tatum and, and, and Brown and the Celtics staff, I give them all the credit in the world. The answer to this, uh, to the problem of the Milwaukee Bucks, it, it lied in dribble penetration, ball movement, and then dribble penetration, ball movement. Drive and kick, drive and kick, open shot, take the shot. And they got a lot of grief early on for taking the 53s and losing game one. Then they got some grief later on because they weren't moving the ball at, at a high enough clip and you know blowing the leads and all that stuff. But to me, it's as clear as day, and I think now the Celtics believe it, which is important moving forward. Your team 
is built with versatility. Defensively, multiple guys can guard multiple players. Offensively, multiple multiple guys can catch, shoot, put the ball on the floor, make a play, and keep people in motion. Now, there's a lot of things. Zach, me and you could put a team together that can have five guys that can become great decision makers and move that ball. But the difference is we can't put a team together that does that and defends at a high clip. So that's your identity. Everybody is good at something. Every championship team is good at something. What they're good at now is let's be great ball movers, great decision makers, great uh, spacers that all like let that ball fly. But let's also still be hard-nosed, defensive versatility, get after it on that end. Let's hang our hat on that end. And then offensively, let's just play. And when we do that, or if we get in a tight game, then we have the guy, Jason Tatum, who could take us home. That is the identity of the Celtics. And I think throughout the series, they figured that out. Now, they're going to be, that's going to be tested. They know who they are. Now it's going to be tested with the Miami Heat because if you deviate from who you are, the Miami Heat will take advantage of that. The five playmakers thing I think is going to be important in this series because the Heat are going to throw a lot of different looks at them, whether it's switching with Bam, which they didn't do as much against the Celtics watching some of the film back as you would expect. We'll, we'll see. I mean, Bam missed, I think, a couple of games in this season series anyway. Uh, trapping instead of putting like a, a hero or a Struess or a Gabe Vincent, and obviously Kyle Lowry's health is hovering over this as a major subplot. I, I, putting those guys onto Tatum on switches, they'll trap and they'll say, okay, Grant Williams, beat us in four on three. And I think the Celtics, or they'll play zone and junk it up with zone and, and force everyone to sort of cut and move and make plays. And I think the Celtics, even their fourth and fifth best players in most of these lineups, if you give Grant Williams a four on three, like he can do something with it. If you give Derek White Correct. a four on three, that's why they brought him in. He can do something with it. But uh, I, I also, you know, you mentioned the Nets, and I do think it's worth sort of hitting the brakes a little bit, just just re- reminding people, Boston just went through the top two players in the NBA by consensus right now in the world, in KD and then Giannis. And I saw Jalen Brown's comments after Game Seven yesterday saying. I kind of get now why people say Giannis is the best player in the NBA. Just the relentlessness and the physicality of just, you know, he's coming at you every single possession and it's going to hurt. And he's, and not only that, we kind of have to fear his passing now in a way that we didn't have to before. And that got them in trouble in game one when they overhelped on him a little bit, but you overhelp on guys because you're scared of their scoring you you don't go under picks when he's the ball handler, which he did more than ever in this series because he had to, because you're afraid. Yeah, that's easy. It sounds easy. But if I'm a half second late, he's at the rim and putting one of my poor teammates onto a poster. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I think, look, Jimmy Butler has been one of the three or four best players in the playoffs overall. With with this, he's age. He's becoming this like wonderful old man YMCA player. I love Jimmy Butler, but I do think the Celtics are going to feel a tiny bit of relief that we now have the best player in this series, and there's nobody. There's no one individual player who's seven feet tall who's going to be coming at us every single time, whether as a jump shooter in KD or like Shaq with a dribble in Giannis, punishing us. And I just, you know, Giannis just averaged 34, 17, and 7 against the Celtics. Their offense completely fell apart whenever he hit the bench. Their offense fell apart. The Celtics held the Bucks 
to 99.7 points per 100 possessions. That would be by far the worst offense in the NBA. Without Giannis, it was like 79, just something crazy bad. But what what impressed you or what was what what was it like watching the Giannis stuff up close? Because without Middleton, he had to do everything. And he damn near did enough to get them over the finish line against a team that I think without Middleton is clearly better than Milwaukee. When I look at this whole series with Giannis, and obviously he's incredibly impressive in the way he brought it every single possession, both ends of the floor. But the Bucks aren't good enough. It's a problem for small markets. Like They had to make that decision on P.J. Tucker. I have to, I have to admit, I think that hurt him. Like them making the decision to save money with DiVincenzo, it might have hurt them. Like Grayson Allen, who I like as a player, I'm not one of these people in the media that just are gonna like, like you know, crucify Grayson Allen because he made a couple of hard fouls. Like all guys, guys in the NBA make hard fouls all the time, but I don't know if he's good enough to play for an NBA championship. Like, like that was it was glaring to me that their role players, like George Hill, like those guys, like are not on the level that Giannis deserves as an elite player in this league. So that really stood out to me. Giannis, that didn't shock me that he was able to do this. I just think that he's a physical specimen. I think he's a warrior. I think he doesn't back down from anything. He loves, he's he's not going to turn around and sulk when things don't work well. He's just going to play harder and harder. And I just think like it's too much for him. And um, it'd be interesting to see what the Bucks do if they decide to to pay the money to go out there and, and get you know, veteran guys at the end of their bench that they can count on during a playoff series. But Giannis was impressive. Um, but I don't – when I move forward and I think about the Heat, I think they're a completely different animal than the Bucks. They, they beat you with their mind. They, they, they don't make defensive errors. Offensively, their spacing is is superb. I, I, I don't think the issues with the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis flexing his muscles on the Celtics – it's going to be the same issues that they have moving forward. I think this is going to be a much more mentally taxing series for the Boston Celtics than that Bucks series was. I'm glad you brought up the the Bucks supporting cast because that's the hot topic right now in the wake of this series. And I think it's it's both fair and I think people are being almost a little too overcritical and short-sighted, which is what happens when a team gets eliminated. As and Look, it's going to happen with the Suns, and we've already talked about it. Um the P.J. Tucker thing was a mistake, and we all called it out at the time that you have a generational superstar. You cannot pinch pennies in that guy's prime because, you think, you, because you think you can get 90% of P.J. Tucker on the cheap. Guess what? The 10% that you don't get shows up when you face the Boston Celtics in the conference semifinals. They thought in the middle of the season, well, Wes Matthews is kind of our P.J. Tucker now, a guy that can shoot threes and guard above his size. And... That sounds like kind of a cool argument to trick yourself into into believing. You also just could have had both uh, instead of only one of them. Uh, I hated the DiVincenzo trade at the time they did it. Uh, I, I, I understood why they did it, despite the fact that all I kept hearing from them was Brooke Lopez is more than on track. Brooke Lopez is doing great. Brooke Lopez looks great. I, didn't li- I don't like trading wing for backup big, uh, despite DiVincenzo's struggles. I was on an island hating that trade at the time. Uh, and I, I, you know, whatever. And I just think you look back. The other thing is, if you want to look at their role players, I also think you have to zoom further out. They've gotten like nothing out of the draft since Giannis, like nothing. And you can go to DJ Wilson, Thon Maker, Rashad Vaughn, trading picks 
that became OG Ananobi and Norm Powell for Gravis Vasquez. Like somewhere along the line, if one of those picks turned into a player that's helpful for you now, that's a big deal. And they didn't get any of that. But I, I agree with you on Grayson Allen. I do think in the heat of this, people are going to get a little too low on Grayson Allen. He's fine for what he is, like an okay bench player. Like he's not the villain of this series. To the, I mean, the Celtics are really hard to play against. And, and I do think we're kind of missing the forest for the trees. If they had Chris Middleton, they might they, they're probably favored to win this series and they, and they may well win it. And also, they won the championship like yesterday. Can we get sure. can, we used to give teams like a little bit of a like a tiny bit of a break before we're just like, everyone there is an idiot. They all screwed. They just won uh. the championship. And a thin bench is sometimes what happens to you when you trade a bunch of stuff. For one guy in Drew Holiday who just helped you win a championship. So they did did they make some mistakes? Yes. The Middleton thing is a bigger deal than people make it out to be. And just, you know, we'll see what they do in the offseason. But yeah, the, look, the Celtics are just better. The, the, without Middleton, yeah. the Celtics are better and they're moving on. Can we talk about the Heat now? Let's do it. So to me, you know, you just complimented the Heat. I, I love the Heat. I I they don't, as you said to me off air before we started, they don't beat themselves. They're incredibly mentally tough, as are the Celtics, by the way. In past years, you almost wondered if the Celtics were, particularly two years ago in the bubble against Miami, were they were they a little wobbly mentally compared to the Heat, who had all those late-game comebacks? Was their locker room a source of strife or tension? Now it's like they go down 3-2, gut punch, loss at home to the Bucks. Yeah, we'll just go win the next two games. Like They're, they're a mentally tough team now, but the Heat are really tough. Um to me, the biggest question of the series is, can Miami score in the half court against Boston's defense? And Miami is – and the key stat for me to watch is Miami forced the third most turnovers in the NBA. And we saw against Milwaukee that when the Bucks could turn turnovers into fast break points in the threes, they won games. I think Miami cannot win this series – if they don't generate enough of those turnovers and enough of those points in transition. And that's where the Lowry absence, potential absence looms big because he's their hit ahead guy. He gets them moving after misses. Their half court offense is just kind of so, so it can get stuck in the mud. Um, what are you watching for Celtics defense versus heat offense, whether it's who guards Butler, how they guard Butler, uh, how they guard Bam. What are you looking for? So I think more than anything, it's so the Celtics are very good in scramble mode. Like it's almost like they're not designed to guard this particular team. I'm not saying the Heat are going to be great offensively. Actually, I'm looking at all the unders, by the way, starting out. At like oh, my God. Well, this is the, the second and fourth best defensive teams in the NBA for the regular season. And, or, I'm sorry, the first and fourth best teams in the, in, in the in, and by far first. And so the Celtics are great at scrambling. And the Heat are great at like dictating to you what we want you to do. So that's like that's a big deal, by the way. Like you're Jason Tatum wants to get in his bag and do his thing, but the Miami Heat are gonna say, No, we're gonna force you left and we're gonna force you into this guy. And then they're gonna play off of that. So it's not it's not the Bucks. I keep wanting like the, the Heat are not the Bucks. They don't have Giannis, agree, but they also like you have to, it's it's going to be a mentally challenged series for the Celtics. Now, I'm with you. I don't understand where the Heat go to to win this thing. It's going to be a lot of like contested shots. 
I wonder how people are gonna like enjoy this series. It's not gonna it's gonna be a defensive dogfight from game one to whatever ends up game seven. Everything is gonna be hot, highly contested defensively. I actually don't see with both teams where they go for offense. I don't know where the Celtics go. I don't know where the um, Miami Heat go. I, I'm really curious, and I think you were spot on. It's going to come down to points off of turnovers, second chance points. Like if you just look at those two stats, those two stats are going to dictate the winner of this series of this of each game in this series. So, uh, points off turnovers, so how I, or fast break points off of that, and then also it's going to be the uh, the second chance points. So we'll see. If, if that becomes like a key issue in this series, but I don't know where each team's going to go offensively to find an advantage over these, these defenses that I think are just absolutely next level. Well, let's start with just the center position for Boston. Like, what do we, do we expect Rob Williams to start and or play again this season? Or is that, is that done? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think that he went and, he was available in in, in, a, in if they needed him. I don't know what that means. And so, I I think in my mind I just chalk it up as saying like, how about game three? We won't be talking about Rob Williams injury anymore. Like we'll be full go. But I don't know what available. I'm gonna use, by the way, I'm going to use that with my wife. I'm going to be. You know what, honey? I I'm available today if if you need, if you really need me. If if not, I'm going to be taking. <laughs> I'm just gonna say I'm a little I'm a little out of it. I'm taking a nap and like need needs gonna do a lot of work in that need is like the house is on fire. I'm available. <laughs> I don't think he was actually available in Game Seven. I know That's they what I'm said saying. that. I don't think he was either. I don't think I don't think he was available. Maybe like, hey Rob, go get us a rebound if it's a close game and Giannis is at the free throw line or something like that. But. I don't. I don't know if he was available. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to play. I. Do, I do think he's more important this series than he was in the Buck series from the standpoint of you're going to need a last line of defense. His defense is great at guarding the rim. I think the Celtics can rotate out of that. But as of right now, I'm just going to chalk it up as not available. How about that? Well, it's a big deal because it changes. It changes the matchups in a lot of interesting ways. Like if they have Rob. They can do the thing that they did a lot in the regular season and put Rob on P.J. Tucker in the corner and have Al guard Bam and switch everything and have Rob help. And on the other end, the Celtics in that lineup might end up with Max Struess or a small player on Horford because the Heat are going to want Tucker and Butler on Brown and Tatum, I think, for a lot of this series. And if Tucker's guarding a wing, well, someone else has got to be guarding Al. So I think that that's something um, – worth monitoring and but I, I I guess the safer bet is they continue with Grant Williams at the four and Al Horford at the five and it was nice to see Grant Williams hit some shots yesterday because he had kind of are, turned into a pumpkin are you familiar with the Grant Williams Bam out of Bayou history I guess like those guys Ooh, matched I feel up like, a, I feel I feel like I should ahead. be yeah so those guys matched up a lot whether it be AAU or um in high school and Grant Williams took it to him and I've seen, I know the backstory, and it's one of those things where once you know a backstory, then you watch the matchup a little bit closer. I think, like, Grant Williams is about it, and Bam Adebayo at times has been like, "Mm, I'm not going to try to, like, I've been down this road before. Even though everybody would assume that Bam is the better player, and but watch that matchup closer. Watch how Grant plays against him. He plays with 
the utmost confidence against Bam Adebayo. So there's some there's a history there that because it precedes the NBA that a lot of people don't know about. But I'm actually really looking forward to that matchup. Yeah, be, that's that's fun. That's an interesting little subplot. Remember the emblematic play from the 2020 Conference Finals was Bam's fingertip block on Tatum down the stretch of what was it? Was that Game One of that series? It was another late game Heat. Uh, heat win in I, that series. Remember that block, that epic yeah, block? Yeah, I, I think it was two. I think it was two, but it was early in the went series, up. whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of side plots to this series, and um, I think you know, like the the Heat winning that series in in the fashion that they did, you know, put the Celtics on notice. It kind of knocked the Celtics off their pedestal for a little bit. Kind of had to. They hadn't. They haven't regrouped until halfway through this season from that series. So there's there's a lot that goes into this. And the one thing is that Heat are tough, mentally tough, physically tough. Spolstra's a great coach. He's not gonna. He's gonna put these guys in a position to win. So there's a lot more juice than what like I think the outside media is giving credit to the series. Yeah, I, I look the Heat again. They're they're tough. I just think if if Lowry. Is, is so limited or can't go. I just think Lowry, by the way, watching the regular season matchups, for a guy who kind of refused to shoot for a lot of the year and was not a huge part of Miami's offense in the half court, as, as, big, as big a part as you would think he would be, against Boston, he did a lot. And particularly in the last game when both teams were really at full strength in Boston and Miami won, Kyle was a huge part of that. And you felt given how great Boston's defense is, how big and stifling it is, they needed Kyle to take off the dribble threes in the pick and roll to be Kyle Lowry to win that game. And without him or with him limited, I just worry about their, their offense um, in, in this series. And I like the Celtics have – the Celtics are – I bet they'll start Brown on Butler, but you'll see Tatum on him. Smart will take him. Grant Williams yeah. will even take yeah. him now and then. They'll do a lot of switching like they always do. They're pretty well equipped to like blow up the Max Struess dribble handoff game with Bam. That used to be the Duncan Robinson dribble handoff game with Bam. Like they're not going to get caught with their pants down in a deep drop too many times against that. I, I just think it's going to be interesting to see. Even like Bam posting up a lot of their wings on switches is not. I don't think something that really scares the Celtics. It's just going to be interesting to see where the Heat go for answers and I think it's going to have to be they're going to need to get out in transition and they're going to need to shoot really well from three yeah the the one matchup is do you saw when Drew Holiday had one-on-one matchups against anybody smart against Tatum Brown Horford Tice like he was like putting them under the basket Jimmy Butler in my opinion and and Drew Holiday their offensive games are very very similar very similar the way that they play and where Butler like punishes you with his body at the rim. So I'm curious about that matchup and seeing how much, and and by the way, like the Miami heat will have better spacing than the Milwaukee bucks. Just look at the, just look at the rosters. Like the heat are going to have guys who are spread out. And, and so Butler's going to have those opportunities. I think this series comes down to if Jimmy Butler is is and we know he's not the best player in the series but if he is the best player in this series that's going to be a huge advantage for the heat yeah he's he's just so physically powerful and smart and even what he did to Embiid, i don't know if you saw 
some of the matchups where Embiid guarded him one-on-one mm-hmm. and he just pivoted and faked and like got up and under Embiid. He's just such a crafty, smart player. And yeah, he's going to hunt Derek White and Peyton Pritchard mm-hmm. just like the Bucks did and the Celtics are going to have to either trap and force the Heat to make plays or double and, and help. And they're all, they're really, really good at all that. But yeah, Jimmy is just a, a, a monster physically and it, it he needs to have a huge huge series and and I think he's going to have a, a, a lot of responsibility on defense too because whether it's it's him on Tatum I, I suspect it'll be PJ Tucker on Tatum but it could be PJ Tucker on Brown too like he's gonna both Tatum and Jimmy Butler are going to be counted on to do pretty much everything on both ends of the floor they're going to have it's going to be a heavy two-way series for both of them yeah I'm, the only thing I here's what I most worry about with Tatum. Tatum likes to play in space. He likes to hoop. I, I always use that term. It's like hooping is free. You're moving it. You're relocating. You're attacking. You're getting into your bag. Like I'm afraid as soon as Tatum gets the ball, like PJ Tucker's going to say like, okay, you are going left. Like you're not going, you're not going between your legs. You're not stepping back on me. You're going left. And I'm forcing you right into this guy right here. And then, He's going to get the ball at the elbows. Like, okay, right here, you're, you are not You're not going to get to the middle of the floor. We're going to pin you on the sideline. I'm just I'm a little bit afraid that throughout this series, like where Tatum wants to dictate what he does, it's going to be like the Miami Heat dictating what he does. And that's, that's where I get worried about the, the Celtic offense. When the Celtics are playing free and moving and driving and kicking and doing all that, I think that they'll beat the Heat. I think they're a better team than the Heat. Once the Miami Heat like establish, we, you're going to play what the way that we want you to play. That's where I'm. I start getting worried about my Boston Celtics. So, I'll we'll see in Game One how physical the the referees allow the Heat to to go, and then how much they decide to funnel Tatum into this guy, funnel Tatum into that guy, funnel Brown into this guy. Try to speed up those two, and then try to rotate out of it. So. I'm I'm just really curious on the way that PJ Tucker or whoever whoever's guarding Tatum and Brown how they start the the, the game one out. And you know Tatum is going to go after you know as we said whoever the weakest defender on the floor and we'll see how how the Heat defense handles that. One thing you mentioned about Jimmy, I am sure the Celtics watched film of the of the Sixers Heat series and saw Jimmy Butler whether one on one or in pick and rolls with Bam. The coverage was so conservative that he was like just strolling in to fourteen foot jumpers. Like, stro- like I know the long two is like unsexy and all that for a team that's a mediocre half court offense, and that's what the Heat are. You cannot let Jimmy Butler walk in to wide open free throws. Like it with the pickup point yeah. was way too low. He's way too good of a shooter, and I think the Celtics right from jump are going to be more physical than the Sixers were and more up in him earlier than the Sixers were. Yeah, I mean, Zach, they're going to switch all that. That's like, whatever whatever you've seen so far from both teams, throw that out the window. Like, you're not going to see that. Like, each each team has had completely different series than what they're about to face. Like, the Celtics will switch all those. Now it'll be Jimmy Butler on, as you said, True. Derek White. So it's like, everything we've known, like, the Celtics don't have a Joel Embiid out there. These are the number one and two switch teams in the NBA. Uh, only Detroit was even close to them in total switches uh, on screens. Um, the other thing is, you know, it, it, you talking about Tucker 
or whoever dictating where Tatum goes and when and how got me thinking about it again. The Heat allowed, or allowed is sort of the wrong word for the Heat, um, coaxed, gave up, uh, pushed teams toward the most threes in the league. Um, and the Celtics just got through another team that was like, hey, shoot them, shoot them all you want. Like, whether Grant Williams, everybody but Tatum and Brown, shoot them all you want. And by the way, we'll live with you guys shooting them off the dribble too. We'll try and contest them. And I do think we're, it's kind of good that the Celtics got over that for the Celtics in, in the previous round because I, I think they're going to have to shoot a lot of threes again to win this series. They're going to come to those threes differently than they did against the Bucks. I don't think the Heat are just going to sit back and be like, twiddling their thumbs while Grant Williams checks the wind and shoots 23s. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think whether it's in a zone or the way they do their help assignments and funnel the offense here and there in the drive and kick game, I do think those same guys are going to get a lot of threes. And I, I, I maybe they got over the sort of mentality of being left wide open, but the Heat give up a ton of threes by design. The Celtics take a ton of threes by design, and I think that's going to be, again, we're going to see again, looking at the box score, being like, wait, they took 53s? Is that okay? Is that And I think it just it just has to be okay. Zach, you got to look at those threes and see if you could take a deeper dive into when those shots were taken on the shot clock. I think there's a lot of, like, rushed, late, you know, not one pass and shoot. It's a very... It's a very unique way that the Miami... I, I, I almost feel like they, they force you into taking the shot. And, like, let's say Grant Williams makes two in a row. Then they'll just force someone else to take the shot. That's like that. Their basketball, their defensive basketball IQ with, with Spolstra telling them what to do and the players doing it is so off the charts. And, my, and I'm, not, I'm not down on the way that Budenholzer coaches. I, I like, like, the wild and free way that they play and the lack of adjustment. Sometimes coaches can overcoach. Like with the Miami Heat, like Spolstra can. There's no such thing as overcoach because the players will just continue to adapt to what they're doing. So I I really feel like those giving up those threes, that's usually not a good thing, giving up a bunch of threes. Like if you take a deeper dive into those threes, you'll 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 come to realize that they're almost like Spolstra telling them this is what we're gonna willing to give up. Late shot clock threes after, you know, the superstar player, you know, is giving the ball up at three seconds on the clock. Yeah, it's, it's very Raptors-esque. I think this is going to be a fun defensive series. I, I'm going to pick Boston, I think, in six. I just think they're better and more talented. But I have learned ten times over, do not underestimate the Miami Heat. Do not no. underestimate their toughness. I picked the Celtics in this round two years ago. The Heat were like, nah, we're just going to win every close game. We're going to out-tough you. I don't think they can out-tough Boston in the same way this time, but it's going to be a fun series. And you will be uh, watching it closely, and we may be counting on you again. Brian Scalabrini, your analysis on TV is just top-notch. A joy to listen to with the Hall of Famer, Mike Gorman. Um, Keep it up, my friend. You got it, Zach. See ya. (laughs) 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.